This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. I, well, here, here's what I've learned in, in politics, which is that people are more than their ideas and that caught up in politics and religion and culture oftentimes ground under the wheel of that or caught in the spokes are people who are just trying to figure things out. Hey everybody, and welcome to The Calling. I am Richard Clark, an editor for Christianity Today. When Michael Ware shook hands with Barack Obama and told him he'd like to work for him, he couldn't have predicted the swiftness with which he would be swept up into a historical presidential campaign. He probably didn't predict either the deeply uncomfortable tension he'd face as a lifelong Democrat who also happened to be a pro-life Christian. As the director of faith outreach for Obama's 2012 campaign, Ware had a front row seat to the divide between secular and sacred politicians and voters that would come to define politics in the next election. But as the title of his book, Reclaiming Hope, makes clear, he still has some faith that these challenges can be overcome. I talked to Michael Ware months ago. We talked about the best and worst moments of his time in the White House, how church can redeem politics, and about that one time President Obama killed a fly with his bare hands. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Christianity Today magazine. That is how you can support it. We offer redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the culture and the church. As a subscriber, each year you get 10 award-winning print issues, tablet and PDF editions of each issue, full web access to ChristianityToday.com, online archives dating back to 1956. Six. We've set up a special page that allows you to get a discounted subscription plus a bonus download created especially for our podcast listeners. It's a collection of your podcast host's favorite articles. It's pretty cool. You can only get that deal at orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling. Here is my interview with Michael Ware. So um, when I was young, I asked my dad what the difference between Republicans and Democrats was. And he said, I'll never forget it. He said, Republicans think people should work for the money they get. And Democrats think that we should just give it to them automatically. And I said, oh, I guess I'm a Republican. And I've been a Republican ever since. (laughs) What did your dad tell you about what Republicans and Democrats believe? (laughs) thankfully not that (laughs) yeah although i'm trying to think if he told me anything so Uh i don't know maybe maybe your story is a better he never talked to you about it never yeah uh yeah i didn't grow up in a super political uh household my my grandfather was a world war ii vet Mm -hmm. came back served in his community he was the most political but more um i I think he he was civically interested he was civically Mm. minded Mm -hmm. so i didn't have a um now that being said we were my family was all labor union uh, blue collar 
it, 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 Italian Catholics yeah. in the Rust Belt. So everyone seemed Democrat. So Democrats. Um, yeah. 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 So, um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't even kind of like with the Catholicism. It wasn't like a thought out, yeah. well, we're Democrats because of, uh, you know, we've read through the platform or we're Catholic because we've read through the catechism it was uh, this is just what you do like right. you shut up eat your fish fry and uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> was it like was that like a huge part of identity for your family the d- democrat part uh um no no uh, again we weren't really um but but uh, we, we weren't really no no it's interesting because in my, in my in my imagination sort of as i think about it no and mm-hmm. then you think about you know, Catholic mantles and, you know, it's like the Virgin Mary and JFK like right. next to one another. Right. Um, so, yeah. so clearly it played a role. Because what I was going to ask is like, what would have happened if you just mentioned you're going to vote for like Reagan or something? <laughs> I guess Reagan's too early, probably, if you're a around. A lot. Yeah. Pretty, pretty early. It's too early yeah, for yeah. me, at least. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, Bush or whatever. No, it, it was it was a more... Uh, so I I never uh, had had that experience, but it would have been less of a deal than than when I told my family I'd become an evangelical. So, oh. so if that helps. Yeah. So what? we weren't. Oh that. yeah, because they were Catholic. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So the first question we always ask people is, how would you define your calling? I feel called to help the church navigate what is uh, a pretty unique time in the history of the American church politically and culturally speaking uh-huh. Uh-huh. so um so that expresses itself in a lot of uh, different ways through writing through consulting but all of it is under this umbrella of um wanting to use my experiences um and my skills to um help christian leaders and institutions mm-hmm. um uh uh, successfully navigate the challenges and take advantage of the opportunities of um, of of a rapidly changing uh, culture in America. It had seemed for a long time that politics was kind of cyclical or reliable in the way that it worked, yeah. um, and and it doesn't seem that way anymore. Is that something you anticipated? You wrote this book before, really, we knew what we were dealing with. Yes, and what's interesting about like your book release is that it, it was clear to me that you weren't anticipating this, like based on the, just the timing when you wrote it, unless you, unless you were, you know, but it, it's not something that you, that had happened. And then you wrote it, you well, wrote it and then it happened. And then the book came out. Well, here's the way, one of the, one of the primary reasons I wrote the book was to help, Democrats and secular Americans understand the legitimate concerns of religious Americans with uh, with decisions that were made over the course of the uh, Obama years by the Obama administration by changes in the culture mm-hmm. uh, over the last decade or two. Yeah. Um, And I, I knew that that was going to express itself in ways that were surprising. Um, I, I at the start of the primary, I thought that the surprising way would be a, uh, you know, a big victory by President Marco Rubio or President Jeb Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly 
could not have imagined us uh, electing for real a reality TV star. But yeah. the the core of the so you saw you saw the shift to the right coming. Yes, in a yeah. sense. Yes. Okay. Um, it, it was. Um, there are ways that Democrats could have avoided a loss. <laughs> there are ways that Democrats could have avoided a loss, and that's principally by um, uh, finding and hitting a pressure uh, a pressure release valve mm-hmm. um, before before things got too pressurized. And, that, and that's what Trump's election was. Trump's mm. election was an expression of built up, pent up pressure that Democrats didn't care to relieve or address. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the book walks through, um, uh, walks through in a pretty, uh, significant way. Some of those factors that, that contributed to that. What was the moment you realized that this was your calling? You know, it, it developed. I think of, I think of a lot of moments. I think about just when I became a Christian, when I was 15, uh, I had read, um, was handed a tract of Romans and it, it changed my life. And, for a while I thought, well, now I have to like go to seminary and become a pastor because like, what else would a Christian do? Mm -hmm. Uh, But sort of the, the first, the, the, the process that led me to come to DC for college was I decided talking with my pastor and with other folks who were in my life that I wanted to figure out what it meant to be faithful in public life. So you could draw a straight line from that, uh, sort of what I'm doing now. I think about reading, um, Dallas Willard's the divine conspiracy my first year at the white house. And that, that really enlivened my faith. It changed how I thought about my work in significant ways. And that, uh, that sort of, um, Dallas's idea of the gospel being the announcement of the availability of the kingdom, um, and what that means for the American church yeah. leads to that. And, and then, uh, as I talk about in the book, I just walked through some very challenging uh, circumstances um, that that brought home the fact that, wow, there are potholes on the road ahead for mm. the church mm-hmm. that we don't even see coming. Hmm. Um, and be- And because of my experiences, I thought, uh, maybe maybe I'm uh, I'm able to see a few of them that others won't see and and have um, ideas about how to how to avoid them and and, and uh, that might be missed otherwise. What were the pot, what were sort of the main things you oh, saw right. there? Um, the uh, the religious freedom fights of the 2010 and on to today. So um, when you were well, hold on, let's pull back. Yeah. You worked in the White House. Yes. Yeah. So this is something like we have to say on the podcast and like spend a minute on because <laughs> it's not like normal for a person to work in the White House. And you must have had a moment of like, oh, crap, <laughs> I'm a, a I'm about to work in the White House, which is everyone had says that. But also like I'm a Christian. Yeah. Um, and I'm going into a Democratic administration. Yeah. Um. Did you feel brave? Did you feel <laughs> terrified? Like, what was the feeling you were having when you started work? I met Barack Obama in February 2007, told him I wanted to work for him. I was a, I was a Democrat. I, I had a pretty good idea. I, had, I knew on the outside I had some disagreements with the party. And then mm-hmm. when I started working for the president, I knew I had uh, disagreements on some issues with him. Sure. So I, I felt like I had a pretty good sense of the landscape. Um, there were definitely some some people not even necessarily within the administration, just in the political democratic political world that were less friendly to, 
uh, to faith or less knowledgeable about faith yeah. than others. But I mean, generally, it was just an just an honor. I mean, you're working at the White House. The um, the ability to to see the country. Uh, both literally and, and just sort of the perspective that you have when you're at the White House, the ability to convene, uh, the convening power of the White House is exceptional. You could bring together people that would never be in a room together or working together yeah. um, uh, otherwise. So it was just an immense honor. Now, I was in the Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, and um, the the president expanded that office and during his campaign did some uh, pretty uh, reached out in some pretty amazing ways. So there was some, there was a sense of aspiration and open doors to the faith outreach side of things. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, also be, became clear that there were going to be some significant challenges and tensions, mm-hmm. um, some of which were avoided. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and those are the things that uh, folks won't hear about because yeah. they didn't happen. And yeah. then some, some things did happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What, uh, one of th- I've been watching the West Wing. Yeah. I always watch the West Wing. It's like my, a regular. I finally got my wife to start watching it, so we're watching. We're in like episode uh, season she one, episode seven. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So, um, it's like a staple in my life, and as I've watched it over and over, I've I've gotten a sense for. So uh, there's a tension between what you're saying and what I've felt from watching the West Wing, which is extremely accurate, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> and it is this: those, everyone's like, experiences matter, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, is that you're talking? It, what's interesting is that on this point, the West Wing is a little more cynical, which is you're talking about getting a position in the White House and having this unique and perhaps like more enlightening perspective of the nation. And then there's, there's like an ongoing thread in the white house of like being cut off yeah. and like having to have these smack in the face moments with regular people to where you really understand what people are dealing with. Did you feel, did you feel that at all? You know, I think that there's like a DC sort of, sort of mm. uh, element there. Yeah. Um, I think what's, um, our office was not so right. The West Wing centers around like the political advisor, the speechwriter, the communications director, the press secretary. Mm-hmm. Those are those are the figures. That, I was in a grassroots office, so sure. I was talking yeah. with pastors and lay faith leaders, and yeah. I was going out to churches all the time. Yeah. And so, um, I, and so, uh, yeah, you know, it it was. Uh, gosh, uh, uh, I'm sure that there were moments where I was sort of surprised by how people were thinking about things that were happening happening mm-hmm. in D.C. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that I didn't quite have a handle on. But yeah. w- one of the hi- one of the highlights of, of the job uh, for me was that every day, um, yes, I had to do meetings with bureaucrats and all that kind of stuff. But every day I was I was talking with and engaging with nonprofit and faith-based leaders that were mm-hmm. that were grounded in local communities yeah that's cool so that that was like your whole job was to be that yeah. person who's yeah. like able to deliver that message i guess yeah and right that was part of the value uh, right uh, p- part of my role was to make sure um and uh, that, that the faith community had a seat at the table mm-hmm in policy and outreach conversations. So a lot of my job was bringing what I heard mm-hmm. locally and from from faith and nonprofit leaders um, into those conversations in, in the White House. So was there ever a moment in that time where you, uh, where you doubted that you were supposed to be doing what you were doing? 
Yes. I like that answer already. <laughs> so many people say no. It's frustrating to me. Yeah. So I had a specifically not with not with my calling in general, but um, mm -hmm. with my time in uh, working uh, in politics directly, I have a chapter in, and we keep on referring to my book. I don't think I've in Reclaiming Hope. I have a um, a chapter um, about the controversy around the president's second inaugural around a pastor who was a friend of mine, a personal friend still is, mm -hmm. uh, um, who was invited uh, by the president to give the benediction. Uh, and there was a media controversy. Yeah, and it you're was talking just, about Louis. I'm Giglio. talking about Louis. Yeah. Um, and it was um, an ugly thing. It was, it was hurtful. And I'll just be, it was hurtful to me personally. I think it was a harmful thing for the country. Yeah. Um, and that was a moment when I, when I thought, um, th that maybe things had soured, um, soured to the point that um, it was just a dark time. It was a dark seventy-two hours for mm. me when I thought maybe maybe this isn't a, a, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, but that darkness only lasted seventy-two hours. Well, so um, so it was the second inaugural. That was my last gig, and and not because of this. I had I had already planned to okay. to start. Um, um, to, to head into the private uh, sector uh, uh, b before this, but uh, this was two weeks before mm -hmm. my last day working for the president. Okay, and so this was this was near the end. Yeah, near the end. Anyway, so, so you must have felt relief. <laughs> uh, it, when I when I left. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I tell. Um, so my last day working for the president was the uh, <laughs> the national prayer service that takes place the day after the inauguration. Okay, at the at the national cathedral. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, get there at 3 a.m. for setup and, and, you know, to, to run the event. Cause you know, the, uh, it starts at like, you know, guests arrive at six 30 or whatever, yeah. uh, finish the event, shake the president's hand and it's 11 o'clock and I'm unemployed. And like, uh -huh. <laughs> like, like uh -huh. that was it. And like I shook the president's hand and then like, that was the last, that was the last thing. And I, yeah. um, uh, tell a story in the book. I have a favorite pizza place. It's right across from the, the cathedral, uh, uh, right across from the cathedral. So at, you know, 11 a.m., I'm sitting at a Neapolitan pizza bar with a <laughs> glass of red wine at 11 a.m. Uh, not my shining. <laughs> uh, uh, and thinking about like, what, what now? What was the role of the local church in the time that you were at the White House I assume you attended a church regularly. Yeah. Like, what what role did the local church play in uh, your life in that time? A pretty pretty significant. So, I um, National Community Church was really a good. Um, in many ways, it was an oasis. Um, it, it, it NCC does a lot of work to. Um, they have a very politically diverse congregation, a, a lot of people who work in politics. Mm -hmm. And so they they um, do a lot of work, not to shy away from political issues, but to uh, respecting the space of the church as a, as a place where people want to go to get um, to not just dive back into the fights that they've been in, yeah. in uh, Monday through Friday. And so that was helpful. And then NCC just shepherded me through um, 
I got engaged and married when I was in the White House. Mm-hmm. I got baptized when I was in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, and so NCC was, uh, the church community was there for all of it. Um, yep. I uh, helped, um, uh, they have a pretty vibrant small group program. And so Fridays at the end of my um, you know, work day at the White House, I was going to small group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it gave me a community apart from a political community that can be very consuming and not even political community. It, it gave me a, it gave me a, a group of people separate from my work colleagues. And when you're working at the white house, yeah. you spend a lot of time at work. Yeah. Yeah. Do, and, um, what denomination was that church? Again? Uh, assemblies, assemblies. assemblies so yeah. with all, so the, with the assemblies they're they're focused on the Holy spirit. They tend to be. And, one of the things that's that flies ridiculous. <laughs> One of the things that um, strikes me about that is you're working in a position that, so you're thinking about the Holy Spirit a lot, right? What? How would? How did you think through like how the Holy Spirit was working through your job through the through the day to day stuff? Because I think a lot. One of the things I've noticed is that anytime some public figure talks about the Holy Spirit's work or God actively working in politics people get weird about it yes. like they get weird so how did you think about that yeah um so really working at the white house in part because of ncc was a <laughs> i don't know why there's a fly that won't leave us alone i don't know if this needs to go in the interview or not just, and it's it just here? like what right in my eardrum it's <laughs> just like Oh my gosh. Okay. Hey, remember that interview with the president when he killed the fly in the interview? Wasn't that? Oh my gosh. You have to have that major flashback right now. That's hilarious. You were working for him at that time. I was, I was Were you like, yes, (laughs) it was pretty cool. It's Uh, like Bernie's bird moment. Although I should say he was very cool about it. There's a little flailing going around. Yeah. Like, get this thing away from me. <laughs> yeah, we're not as cool. No, no, no. Okay. I think okay. it's gone. Yeah, so, so National Community Church affected this uh, not just because uh, because the, the teaching was more focused on the Holy Spirit, but also I just, my faith grew substantially while mm-hmm. I was at the White House because of the pressure of the job, mm. because... Um, it built structure into my into my days where when I first took the job at the White House, I was concerned that I wouldn't have time or that I wouldn't find time to be reading scripture, praying for the spiritual disciplines. What actually happened was that because my days were so structured, it made it easier to prioritize. Like I, I knew if I didn't read um uh, the Bible on my commute in, like mm-hmm. I may not have time to read it otherwise, which meant that I was reading the Bible more often than when I didn't have yeah. a, a 12 hour, 14 hour work day. Right. And I was like, Oh, I could read the Bible like at five whenever, or seven. Yeah. yeah. Whenever. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that, that was important. Um, there was this sense that so much was going on that your ultimate powerlessness or, uh, lack of full control over the situation is just made really apparent. Mm-hmm. So you come to rely mm. on, you come to rely on the Holy Spirit um, for 
direction for comfort um, in a way that it's kind of more natural than I found it in other sort of times in my life. Yeah. Um, now, right. So it's always like an interesting question, you know, when when politicians talk about the Holy Spirit, it gets them in trouble. Because I'm not sure it's always wise to say publicly the Holy Spirit urged me to, to right. vote this way on this yeah. bill. Like that's sometimes that's not like, and I think in all of our lives, we right. It's like an interesting. Uh, you know, sort of dichotomy between, um, you know, giving your testimony and then also um, uh, wanting to, to be judicious about um, how, how you're relaying your communication with God. Right. So, so th- yes. th- that's a very interesting. There's question. also yeah. often with those statements, there's a, there's a certain amount of uh, certainty, certitude. Is that the right word? That I, I don't know. I don't relate to all yeah, the time. Right. So I don't know what that means. Like maybe they, maybe they know something I don't, but, right. um, but I think that's the thing that people don't like when someone is that certain about a thing that feels like it should be a little more mysterious in nature. Right. But did you ever sense speaking of things that should be mysterious in nature? I'm kind of giving you an answer, right <laughs> now. but it doesn't have to be. Did you ever sense like, like this is my time. Like this is my moment. This is why I'm here right now. There have certainly been, there have been moments where I have been, where I, I look back and even in the moment, it's been kind of like, um, you know, when you get clarity about how God has ordered your steps and, yeah. uh, and about how situations have been pulled uh, yeah. it, in, in the sense that, uh, there was no reason why I should be working at the white house mm-hmm. instead of a bunch of other people that then. Yes, but I never felt a sort of um, savior complex. Yeah, like I, like <laughs> right. I mean, like I, I just wanted to be faithful with where God had me. And yes, the White House has like it was cool to work at the White House. But but again, it's interesting when you're when you're at the center of power or near the center of power. It's emphasized. It's easy to see how powerless you are. Mm. And so it's I think from. In respect to the people you're near, you mean? Well, in respect to the people you're near, and in respect to the, um, in respect to the scope and nature of the problems oh, you're okay. addressing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so not only are you not as powerful as, for for instance, Barack Obama. Yes. But even Barack Obama has an element of powerlessness that people don't yes. understand. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Absolutely. I think that you know before going in you could have the um you could have delusions mm-hmm. uh, but those delusions pretty pretty easily get 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 worked out just by the by the by the by the reality of things by right. the nature of things right so. in our broken world it can be hard to see how jesus is at work making all things new that's why every day CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear through redemptive storytelling and global reporting. Whether it's a pastor in Brazil who uses CT in Portuguese to lead his ministry, or a young believer who wants to think biblically about our culture, CT comes alongside believers to illuminate what it looks like to follow Jesus in today's world. Jesus is transforming his world. CT is equipping his church. Give a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now 
at morect.com slash equip. Um, what would you say is the biggest struggle you had uh, so far since you've been trying to live out this calling of yours? It's, it's a good question. I work a lot on sort of big questions, big ideas, when individual personalities are subject to those kinds of forces, uh, then, then, then you, um, sort of those two, I hope I'm being, uh, being clear at some, those two sort of levels of activity, like the, the, the cultural force Mm -hmm. and sort of the people who are just trying to live their lives and yeah. like, um, wait, so, so I need you to get yeah, specifics yeah, because yeah, let's talk about this. that yeah. was a little obfuscated <laughs> yeah. in the way that you said it. So who's the big personality, these individual personalities, I guess. Well, yeah. Are you talking about regular people or are you talking about like celebrity types, the actual politicians? I, well, here, here's what I've learned in, in, <clears throat> politics which is that people are more than their ideas and that caught up in politics and religion and culture oftentimes ground under the wheel of that or caught in the spokes are people who are just trying to figure things out even if they're at very senior levels of decision making yeah um and our sort of willingness to take an ideological approach to some of the battles and conflicts and tensions um, that ignores the personal dignity of, of people is something that's only getting worse. Yeah. Um, we see it right in, in people's everyday lives on just think about the last Twitter fight you were in and <laughs> you, you could see how easily it can be to uh, ignore the dignity of the person you're talking to in order to make some kind of, Thematic point. Now multiply that by like all of the power and levers of influence of government or major media uh, uh, outlets or other cultural forces, Mm -hmm. and and it's a significant thing. So uh, there's a there's a part in your book that talks about this. When you talk about the Giglio thing, you talk about the. um, I think I remember. Like the question, who could we choose to replace Giglio? Yes. And what's the quote? It's like from this this leader of an LGBT. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, if 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 and this is a paraphrase, but um, if if it's a Christian, we'll make him famous. Right. Meaning no, we mean, will mean, shame meaning, that person. Yes, we'll yes. find something. Yes. And make them famous. That's right. Yeah. So we'll find something in their background or in that they've said and then uh, uh, ideological yeah. goal, yeah. Wh- which could, which right. What well, it doesn't, it almost, uh, what, I, what I'm saying is um, the, the moments of struggle for me are even if the ideological, even if, even if what's easy to do in politics is to the most dangerous person is the person <laughs> who knows that what they're fighting for is the right thing. Right. Yes. And uh, they're, uh, and uh, for that person's um, acceptance of collateral damage mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to to go up, and yeah. that's a that's a that's a very problematic problematic thing. Yeah, I uh, 
I, for Christians, obviously, this is a real problem because yes. we are super certain about what we believe. That's like our whole structure. And so, um, and we know what's right for everybody, right? right. We know it will be best. Yeah. We want to force that sometimes. So I think um, it's really tough to get Christians to understand. I mean, this sounds like a little elitist, but I don't mean it to be elitist because like, it's more like, it's more just that we're locked into this mode in every part of life where we're like, we, here's the right thing. Evangelism is this. It's like, here's the right thing. Yeah. Do you accept yeah, yeah, yeah. it? Right. Um, <laughs> and, and then suddenly we're in politics where we're all asked to vote. We're all asked to participate. And we don't know what we're talking about in the way that other people do. And, um, and it just makes sense to us. Like, I'm going to vote for that thing that I agree with. Um, but I think like you're, you're talking about, like it, it becomes very difficult to explain concepts of like pluralism or concepts where um, it might be better if people are allowed to like, what are some things where Christians want to force the issue and we're, we maybe shouldn't. I mean, right. You could take it from, take it from uh, a, a lot of various perspectives. I mean, right. So it, it could be anything mm -hmm. if we are, if we're willing, so I spend a lot of my time now working on religious freedom issues, mm -hmm. and I believe religious freedom is a crucial issue. Yeah. Um, uh, but if uh, securing religious freedom uh, means, for instance, denying it to religious minorities, yeah. or if it means a sort of um, a sort of trade-off where we sort of accept. Uh, bad policies or bad politicians um, who at least we know will get the religious freedom thing right, then that's mm -hmm. something that we need to, we need to think seriously about. Now yeah. politics is, there, there are no perfect choices in politics. So I'm not, uh, uh, I, I'm also kind of weary of sort of imposing, uh, you know, uh, th this conversation started with you asking like what I've struggled with. And so I, mm -hmm. I don't want to impose sort of uh, like, I've just had some experiences uh, and that's just right. You don't want to project me. onto I don't other, project yeah. onto like national totally. dynamics, yeah. but, <laughs> yeah. but, but the, 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 the core fact that for Christians, um, our aim in politics has to be, has to be toward faithfulness, not victory. Mm -hmm. Um, that that is something I'm 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 confident about, and that's something that we need to have in mind yeah. um, as we're voting, as we're talking about politics in our churches, with our families, um, in our small groups. What's the what's the deepest fear you have when it comes to all this stuff? That we would view the change that's happening in this country um, solely. Um, by what we're losing and miss an opportunity um, for what could be a renewal of the American church and an evangelistic opportunity that we've never had in this country. And what I mean by that is um, uh, right now the, the youngest generation is the first American generation to be raised by um, a a uh, a secularizing uh, uh secularized parents mm -hmm. um we have 
a culture that is asking questions that uh, we've never asked in this country before because we just no longer have the assumptions we used to have. Yeah. And there are all kinds of challenges tied up in that. Um, but if we spend so much time sort of with nostalgia and sort of looking back at what was lost and not see that that this is actually a, the ground has been tilled for a new conversation about faith in this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a significant that's a that, that would be a significant loss. I mean, uh, right. Overall, my right. The, the, the I and that we will just um, uh, not answer uh, when the call comes. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll miss the opportunity for faithfulness. It got really complicated though. For a long time, I was like a little bit, this is ignorant and naive, but a little bit excited that there would be a moment where culture would be almost uniformly secular. So like, and the political side of things that would be represented by say Hillary Clinton winning. And then a lot of like, uh, a lot of like hard laws are passed. So the, most yeah. experts agree that under that circumstance, a lot of religious liberty challenges would come our way. Yes. And then we'd have to like sort of st- stand our ground in hard ways. And I was a little bit excited about that, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. We're in an awkward moment now where it's not that the opposite thing has happened. It's not like whew, we're fine. Yeah. It's that we, um, I guess depending on who you ask, but, we we we're at a moment where the church is seen as in opposite ways by various people depending yes. on who you are. like there's total lack of clarity about what the church even is what we believe what we want to happen in the political sphere i don't know what that means other than like it's made it really weird and complicated yes yeah i i think that's right and and i you know i don't think we need uniformity in political approach. I think that there's something to be said that there are multiple Christian expressions, acceptable sort of Christian expressions, orthodox Christian ex- uh, expressions in the political realm. Um, I, I think the challenge that we're seeing is that there has been, we have a crisis of public theology in the church and we have, um, hmm. I think many evangelicals, many Christians have accepted sort of the idea that politics is this area cordoned off from God. Yeah. Sort of God doesn't understand our politics somehow mm-hmm. or that um, uh, sort of there's, there's sort of uh, you address sort of personal problems in a Christian way, but when it comes to politics, sort of, Christian knowledge has no application, right? Uh, which you know would be a surprise to Augustine and Aquinas, yeah. right? Yeah, and Wilberforce, etc. Um, uh, we we need to think in. Uh, so here's here's like a concrete recommendation for uh, pastors listening, for folks involved in starting new things. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to think about um, public theology. Uh, in the same way that we thought about vocation and faith and work in the church, which mm-hmm. is that we we came to understand that for many of our people, many of the folks sitting in our pews, even though they were, they were being taught the general principles of the faith, they were not able to connect the dots themselves between their faith and their work. Yeah, and so we actually we actually helped them connect those dots. We started institutes for faith and work. We started doing series on how your faith ought to inform your vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
this same is needed. And if it wasn't clear before, it certainly became clear over the last year. The same is needed to help Congress think about uh, public issues in a pluralistic society mm-hmm. in a way um, uh, that they are not um, being ministered to more by MSNBC and Fox News, that right. their political imaginations are are not being shaped more by um, sort of secular political outlets than they are by, by the word of God and yeah. by um, the Christian tradition. There's another tension there, though, because I've heard you talk about, you've lamented that politics is everywhere, like it embeds itself in everything. So how do we do that without embedding politics into yet another sphere of life where really like i don't know if i want my pastor to be preaching about elect like uh partisan politics from the pulpit or talking about super specific things um i I guess people have different no approaches to that so right so i think part of it what happens when we're silent Mm -hmm. um on this stuff is that um is that there are sort of quiet assumptions that are held. So we don't want our pastor speaking about, um, hmm. we don't want our pastor speaking about, uh, I would agree with you that we wouldn't want a pastor speaking about who to vote for. Mm-hmm. But the reason for that um, is because, um, because that would be a, a, a misuse of, of the platform. That would be, um, and, and I think I'm misunderstanding of political choices. So, for instance, mm. um, right, uh, p- part of part of what the value would be of something like this is it would actually um, make a distinction between what was what was dogma, what what are Christian truths about the world, and what are partisan preferences. Yeah. So w- one thing that we need from the pulpit um, are um, is sort of a, a removing of the intense moral burden we've placed on our politics that politics isn't meant to, um, meant to carry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, writes, uh, he has a essay on, uh, uh, membership, uh, where he talks about, uh, sort of the Christian temptation in politics is to claim, I'm sorry, this is meditations on the third commandment. Uh, and and Lewis writes that uh, when Christians enter politics, t- the temptation is always there to proclaim God hath said when God has not said, when mm-hmm. he's not spoken on a subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think in our churches, people walk around with this sort of um, this sort of utter confusion about what God expects, if anything, from our political participation. Mm-hmm. And. And what I learned traveling the country over the last year um, in the run-up to the election and the aftermath is that um, it's tearing people up inside. That hmm. they, they, there is real spiritual harm being done, um, and the cost is high enough that it justifies a more direct response from the church than we've given in this country over the last yeah. 40, 50 years. So it's not so much like weighing in on political no, arguments. Yeah, that's exactly it's, right. It's talking about the nature of politics itself. Yes. What it is and isn't supposed that's to right. be to us. That's absolutely right. You've been listening to The Calling. Michael Ware's book is called Reclaiming Hope. Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. 
You can find him on Twitter at Michael R. Ware. And his website is michaelware.com. That's W-E-A-R.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. A little bit of a programming note. We will be back next year. We won't have an episode on the 27th as we normally would. Uh, We're taking a little break for the holidays. But, yeah, we'll see you next year. The Calling is produced by me and edited by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.